You're listening to English with Monty, the podcast about the English language. Today we're talking about 10 common mistakes writers should avoid. Hello there and welcome to English with Monty. We are on to episode 25. We're a quarter of a century there and who better than to have on this show than the mighty Gideon. How are you doing Gideon? That's my round of applause for your uh, quarter of a century. Excellent. Thank you very much. We're going to talk about something quite interesting today, more to do with writing because we don't always cover writing. And I think it's something that's perhaps a little bit neglected when we teach. And the idea is to think about 10 common grammar mistakes that writers should avoid. What do you think about this topic? It's an excellent topic. Yeah, I get some tips of my own. You can indeed. Yes. I'm not kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Sitting in front of a page, trying to write something, thinking, oh, how should I do this? It is curious, isn't it? A few of these examples can quite easily be applied to native speakers, couldn't they? They are mistakes mm -hmm. that we would make, or perhaps you would make them more often than most people. Possibly. A good starting point would be overuse of adverbs, which I think is a common idea, isn't it? So when we talk about adverbs, what would an adverb normally end in? What is an adverb? So the adverb modifies the verb. It says something about the verb. So he ran. How did he run? Oh, he ran quickly. I'm interested to know what they mean by that, actually, the overuse of adverbs. You help me out with an example. The example here they were talking about is about running really fast. The boy ran really fast to catch the runaway ball. I should probably mention this is from Grammarly, which is actually a very useful tool mm -hmm. to help people with writing. So the idea here is to say, well, rather than say ran really fast, maybe we should substitute that with a different verb to actually mean that they're using sprinted here. Now, that's interesting. I think that's a good point. I mean, of course, it's perfectly OK to say the boy ran really fast, but it's just the overuse hmm. of words like really. I mean, if you're doing conversation, fair enough. I'm really hot. I'm really tired. But if you're writing, yeah, stop a moment and think of some alternatives. That's not a bad way of looking at it. I suppose that's probably one thing you have to keep in mind, right? Is not use a number of different adverbs and think about an alternative if you find yourself doing that. You exactly. As you said, these aren't really rules. It's just, I say really myself, I say a lot. These aren't rules, but it's just things to consider when you're writing. You have to consider the words you use more carefully you have to select your words you have more time to do so so yeah. take advantage of that time and i think we all have our own habits when we're writing don't we and really is probably a good example if you go through your lines of your writing and you see really popping up quite a few times then yeah consciously see how you can substitute that with yeah. potentially a better verb rather than including really and the verb i think very, the same thing applies to very. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying it's very hot or really hot, you could say it's boiling, it's sweltering. So it's good to have a few choice adjectives at your disposal. 
not just I'm really tired, I'm exhausted. And this crosses over with our episodes on synonyms and antonyms, doesn't it? Yeah. When you are writing, yeah, think of potential other words that you can use. And also a thesaurus is obviously very useful to help you with that. Just using another word will help you learn it as well. When you use a word, you'll remember it next time. So you kill two birds with one stone. Your writing will look better and then you'll learn some vocabulary. And I think by writing it, it does help, doesn't it? Because it's a visual thing. So it will help you when you put it down on paper. Another way of expanding your vocabulary, definitely. Definitely. Prepositional phrases. So too many prepositional phrases. Well, tell me more. The example they give here is the caravan came over the top of the hill. Mm -hmm. The idea is that you've got over the top. So came over the top. So obviously over the top is the prepositional phrase there. And then of the hill is the other prepositional phrase. Again, the idea is to try and substitute that with something different. The suggestion is that it's excessive prepositional phrases. Try and simplify it. How would you simplify this? Interesting. So they're swapping a prepositional phrase for a verb in this case, because they say the caravan crested the hill. Crested isn't a word I use very much myself, I must say. (laughs) But uh, nevertheless, I see their point. And of course, as I made the same point earlier, the caravan came over the top of the hill is perfectly correct. It's just maybe you can look at alternatives if you're using those type of prepositional phrases a lot in your writing. And I suppose it depends what you're trying to say, right? I mean, I suppose if you're being a bit more informal in what you're writing, I would argue in some ways prepositional phrases can be used a bit more. And if it's not supposed yeah. to be uh, John Keats' work of wonder, sure. you can get away with it, can't you? I think so, yes. I'll have to look at this closer myself because I don't, I've never considered this one before. I never considered it a problem to use prepositional phrases. But that may be a good point. Yeah. I'll reflect next time. I think it's just something worth thinking about, isn't it? I mean, I, I guess, obviously, if you're writing an email, I don't think that's very relevant, is it? Especially no. because most emails no. are fairly informal. No. I suppose if you're thinking about this, this would be maybe writing an academic essay for university mm-hmm. or something like that. That would definitely yes. be something to think about. Yeah. Because I think reducing the idea of phrasal verbs or prepositional phrases is always a good thing if you're writing an essay that's a good point the next one they're talking about is ambiguous modifiers ambiguous modifiers what do they mean by that the example they gave is listening to loud music slowly gives me a headache it depends how you say it right i've kind of made it so that slowly is connected to gives But I could read it in a different way. I could say listening to loud music slowly gives me a headache. Yeah, that's definitely incorrect because it's ambiguous. Because are you listening to the music slowly or do you get a headache slowly? So that definitely needs correction. I think the other things, yeah, it's a bit of a style. But here it's for clarity. Oh, yes, I've got the corrected sentence. When I listen to music, I slowly develop a headache. Obviously there, the slowly aspect is definitely connected to the headache rather than the music. Yeah. That's not ambiguous. Exactly. So I think that's a fair point. You, you never want to 
be ambiguous anything you're writing they call them here squinting modifiers which i was not familiar with ambiguous squinting modifiers that's a curious name isn't it i don't know why it's called squinting because a squint is when you can't see properly isn't it yeah the modifier in this case is an adverb and it's sort of placed in the sentence between the two phrases and it could refer to either phrase so split it up put a comma there separate the sentences to separate sentences or at least a comma i think the comma is really important right obviously the first clause is when i listen to loud music and then the second clause would be i slowly develop a headache it's good to create that separation isn't it exactly what's your viewpoint on the comma do you think English native speakers use it a bit more or a bit less than, say, for example, Latin languages? Well, there's also a difference in British and American English of commas as well, because mm. British English tends to be more sparse okay. with commas than American English, if you read it. Maybe you don't notice it so much, but they do. They use more commas in American English. Would uh, there be a reason for that? <laughs> well, commas are like all punctuation. It's all about clarity. It's all about clarity. And when there's a a small pause you put in a comma and it's a big pause you put in a full stop and that's open to debate to some extent not to a whole extent but to some extent where you put a comma or the full stop and they draw the line differently on the other side of the atlantic i should say in france i mean my french is not perfect but the rules are very very strict about where you put a comma in a sentence and i don't think they're so strict here here it's about well it sounds right to put it there so in this english we're a bit more flexible I suppose it's just about what sounds right to the ear to some extent, isn't it, when you're writing? Yeah, precisely, yes. What about the Oxford comma? The Oxford comma, I'm I'm not sure I'm going to even go there, but I think that's another thing that you do to stop ambiguity. In a list, after an and, is it, the last? Before an and, isn't it? That's what I mean, yeah, before an and, we can have a list. And some people say, well, no, it's a list, you don't need an and. As you mentioned, the Oxford comma, maybe you should give an example. The proper definition of the Oxford comma is a comma used after the penultimate item in a list of three or more items Mm -hmm. before and or or. For example, today I went to lunch with my roommates, Tom and Molly. Did you go to lunch with your roommates or other people and also Tom and Molly? Or did you go to lunch with your roommates who are tom and molly in this case you would go with my roommates and then additionally tom and molly depends where you put the comma isn't it that's true the comma would be after roommates after tom and then before and for molly well if you don't put the comma my roommates tom and molly then it means tom and molly are your roommates Mm -hmm. if you put my roommates comma Tom and Molly, then that means your roommates are coming and also Tom and Molly. But then they're together. But whereas if you put a comma after Tom, so before and Molly, then that suggests they're separate in some way. My explanation was correct, though. Yeah, that's good. It's an interesting one. They came up with this one. They say the misuse of lie and lay. Is it really so commonly misused? Yes, it is. Really? I think native speakers and learners of English use this incorrectly. I think it's debatable because some people say, well, it's so misused that in fact 
maybe it's not a mistake anymore because of course if people are using it all the time then it's no longer a mistake so the, the traditional grammar is that lay is a transitive verb you follow lay with a noun and lie is an intransitive verb followed by a preposition so you don't lay on something lay means to place so i lay my book on the table okay i lay my head on the pillow lay followed by a noun so you don't lay on something you lie on something i was lying on the couch yeah it's not laying on the couch but it gets confusing because although they're different words the past tense of lie is lay yeah that's confusing isn't it that really confuses things they should have chosen a different word so it confuses things so in the past tense i lay down is correct because you're using the verb lie not lay because the past of lay is laid yeah laid lane yeah so laid mm -hmm. i laid my book on the table but i lay down next to her pretty confusing it is confusing the english language is complex right yeah lie lay lane and the verb to lay is laid laid okay uh, of course i know that but when i'm speaking when you start thinking about it in all these lies and lays and lades <laughs> you just get confused you get so confused it does that's how confused. it is yeah probably the moral of the story is don't include lay or lie in your writing i should say that uh, even great writers such as the great Bob Dylan broken the rule. Lay, lady, lay. One of his famous songs called Lay, Lady, Lay, which is great because if you said lie, lady, lie, it doesn't sound the same. It doesn't sound poetic. So clearly he knows the rules and he knows when to break the rules. Learn the rules and then break the rules. Okay. Indeed. It's artistic license, I guess. Precisely. He's a genius for doing he that, is. maybe. You can find the song on wherever platform you listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Your idol. That's why you've got a haircut like him, isn't it? I'm not sure. We'll move on. So ambiguous pronoun references. What? Exactly. What does that mean? The example they have here is John had a card for Helga, but couldn't deliver it because he was in her way. He is ambiguous in the sense that we don't know who he is and we don't know who her is because, in fact, in the second sentence... He refers to Tim rather than John. John had a card for Helga, but couldn't deliver it because Tim was in Helga's way. I didn't know there was a Tim because there's no Tim in the first sentence. <laughs> this is a problem. I'm uh, very much confused because the first sentence made complete sense. And now you say, I oh, know there's someone else. There's someone in else in the room called Tim. I guess a bit of context would have helped, right? If we would have had a sentence before to suggest Tim is there. Even if you haven't got Tim in the equation, it's probably better to include Helga's way to clarify who we're talking about, right? Yes. I must admit the whole sentence is confusing me a little bit. I know it's not really relevant, but why can't you deliver something because someone's in your way? I mean, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> Good question. Is Tim like standing in the doorway saying no? You cannot deliver this to John. That's how I'm imagining it. Is that how it is? It's possible. It seems like a strange sentence, but okay. I don't think it's the best example in the world. No. I mean, the key is clarification, right? We're clarifying he and we're clarifying her. 
Definitely. Yeah, you do sometimes get tripped up with using too many he's and she's and things. And then you've got to look back and see who they're referring to. Yeah, definitely. So if necessary, add the names. That can also be done with it as well, can't it? Don't be afraid of repeating the noun rather than the pronoun. Sometimes, particularly in writing, that's a good thing to do. Yeah. Or split up the sentence as well. That also helps. That definitely helps, doesn't it? If you would like to hear more of Gideon's lovely voice on his own podcast about curious and interesting things about the English language, it's Zeitgeist Banana. Just search for Zeitgeist Banana where you get your podcasts. You will find some wonderful and interesting stories with more of me, too. Next, they're talking about comma splices. Oh, yeah. The famous comma splice. Must admit, I'm guilty of this myself sometimes. Being what do you write? Well, sometimes there are two sort of independent clauses, which should be two sentences. But if you think the same theme, it should be in the same sentence. So you put a comma between, but really it should be a full stop. The example I give here, he was very hungry, comma, he ate a whole pizza. But they're really two independent sentences. So put a full stop. He was very hungry. Full stop. He ate whole pizza. But you can include it with a comma, can't you? But they're saying here that you need to insert so, right? Yeah. So he was you... very hungry, comma. So he ate a pizza. Yeah. Then with the so, you're linking back to the first part of the sentence. And that's fair enough. Because I suppose other conjunctions you could use. So it's like a coordinating conjunction, isn't it? Where you could put and or but or so exactly i mean you could just think of lots of examples based on the same thing he was very hungry he didn't eat anything that'd be two sentences he was very hungry but he didn't eat anything that'd be mm -hmm. one sentence the yeah. conjunction is helping you there isn't it exactly either you put in the full stop to independent sentences or you can use some kind of linking word or conjunction don't know how you would be with writing this but i would often use a conjunction anyway because i think to me two kind of sentences saying he was hungry he ate a whole pizza it seems a bit from the context though i mean maybe you're right i know i've been guilty myself but i said that to read through my uh writing and say oh oh day out day i've spliced a comma there spliced the sentence with a comma well, that's not right i have to change it so i'm sure I'm guilty as anybody. You just think of ways to overcome it with a conjunction or a other kind of linking word. I'll keep two sentences. Again, it's all for clarity. It's just for clarity that this is a convention. So the next one is quite similar in a way, talking about run-on sentences. And I would suggest this is probably quite a common idea with perhaps speakers maybe from Spanish or or Italian, possibly okay. French, not really sure. They have a tendency, I would argue, to use slightly longer sentences mm -hmm. than we would use without using punctuation. Because the example that they used is, Lily enjoyed the bouquet of tulips John gave her on prom night. However, she prefers roses. But here there's no comma. No. We need commas, don't we? We need semicolon even but i'm looking at a corrected sentence and i put a semicolon that's interesting lila enjoyed bouquet of tulips john gave on prom night semicolon 
However, comma, she prefers roses. Usually I put a full stop before however. Depends on the sentence, but usually I do. Do you? Yeah, I guess so. I would have thought here this is quite a good use of the semicolon, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, no, it works. It does work fine. When would we use a semicolon? Well, (laughs) it's kind of between a comma and a full stop, and it's sort of introducing something which is a bit different to what you said before, but doesn't warrant a whole new sentence. But some people don't use semicolons at all. So it's a pause, just a little pause between the the next piece of information. It can be quite quite dramatic, right? Depending on how it's used. Do you say traumatic or dramatic? Dramatic. Uh, Sometimes before a list as well, or even in a list, sometimes you can divide things using semicolons rather than commas. It's your longer list. Probably should explain what a semicolon is just in case people don't know. So it's just like a dot above a comma, isn't it? Yeah. Instead of however, you could use therefore or something similar to that as well. Yes. So you not could, not in this context, but yeah. I guess you could rephrase it as well. Lila enjoyed the bouquet of tulips John gave her on prom night. She prefers roses, though. Different ways of saying it, I guess. Definitely. It's quite a small error, though, this run-on sentence. I don't think it's that serious. It's not that serious, is it? But I think... It does help with the pauses. I think it helps the reader to digest it a bit more in smaller portions and give a bit of a pause. This is more or less the same idea, but wordiness, inflated sentences. So sentences where you don't need so many words. Okay. It has come to our attention that your tax returns are overdue and we urge you to file them at your earliest convenience. So they say that's incorrect. And the correct sentence is, your tax returns are overdue. Please file them now. I'm not sure I agree with that, actually. No? Not necessarily. You have to take on a case-by-case basis. Of course, there are often you're using too many words and the words are superfluous, but often you're using them in order to be polite, indirect, Please file them now. Your tax returns are overdue. Please file them now. Maybe that's just a bit too direct. I'm not sure I agree. We urge you to file them at your earliest convenience. That sounds lighter. That sounds a bit politer to me. And I'm not sure I agree in this case. I mean, other cases, yeah. What do you think, John? Yeah, I would have a tendency to agree. I guess, as you say, it depends what you want to say. It seems a bit softer in a way, doesn't it? It doesn't seem as abrupt. The explanation they've given here on Grammarly is if you have something to say to readers, spit it out. Inflating sentences with unnecessary words or pointless filler only muddles what you mean to say. I'm not sure I agree with that. Otherwise, we'd just be speaking in infinitives. John, give me beer. Instead of, John, would you mind pouring me a beer or something? I'm exaggerating, but we need these filler words sometimes. We don't always speak so directly, and there's a purpose for it. I think you just have to look at each case. This is one of the cases I don't necessarily agree with it. Yeah, I suppose it really depends on the context, doesn't it? I mean, if you want to be a bit lighter and a bit more polite, then it works, right? But I guess if you're writing an essay, you probably would avoid that to some extent. I think that's the point they're trying to make, because they were talking about the overuse of words such as that, just, or very. 
Yeah, so, sure. I mean, often those words are overused. I'm not saying that. Hmm. I'm just saying that you don't just have to cut everything down to a skeleton. You have to look at it on a sentence by sentence basis and see what's right. And there's very good reason why, you know, in English, we use negatives and past tenses to talk about the present or the future. So you couldn't help me, could you? Is a way of saying, help me. <laughs> so you're using fewer words by saying, help me now. That's not right. That's not how we speak. In order to give a little nuance to our expression, to be a bit more polite, we do use sort of roundabout ways. And that's how English is. I don't really agree with you. I, I would say, yeah, look at the sentence. Maybe you have got too many words, but don't think of it as a rule that you have to cut everything down to its bare bones. I think that's the problem with what it's saying, isn't it? It's saying to you that you need to cut things out and make it very direct. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the wrong advice, isn't uh, it, really? This is the only case so far, but where I think the incorrect sentence is actually better than the correct <laughs> sentence. Yeah. So well, if you don't know the person, you know, you don't know the person, you're a tax inspector. Yeah, it seems more sense. Please so, file them now. You wouldn't write it like that. You wouldn't write it like that. What do the French authorities normally say to you? <laughs> well, the French tends to be a bit more verbose than English anyway. So maybe I would comment on the French language, but it probably is scope for reducing sometimes. I'm just saying you must have received this a few times. You know. I have. They give you like 10% fines in France. I don't know what it's like in England. I haven't paid my tax in England so long. France, they send you your tax. And then if you don't pay after a certain time, they send it back and say 10% fine. <laughs> if you hit this again, and it's like another 10% fine. That's where all your money's going. Yeah, exactly. I always add whatever tax bill I get, I just calculate it to it's that plus 10%. Or 20 sometimes. Or 20, yeah. Well, we've got two more to go. So the use of could of instead of could have. Well, this is just a mistake, though. It's interesting. Some of the things on this list are stylistic questions of style and others are just grammar mistakes. And this is just a mistake course could have plus past participle but i think this is to some extent the way people speak right obviously when you're writing you should not say could of received but maybe when people native speakers do say that i think the confusion is because the contraction of could have is could have and it sounds like could of and that's where people get confused yes i think it's one of those cases where native speakers will get confused more than learners of english Mm -hmm. I think you'll see the most learners of English intermediate level. They'll know that it's could have plus past participle. But native speakers who don't think about this just think of the sound. I could have, could have, uh, could have. That must be could have. They'll make the mistake. I think that's the thing, isn't it? They're they're more likely to make the mistake than non-native speakers, aren't they, in a way? I think it's one of those cases, yeah. Yeah. So could have plus past participle. Sam could have received an A on his essay, but he made too many grammatical mistakes, whereas it should be Sam could have received an A on his essay, but he made too many grammatical mistakes. Exactly. Okay, the last one, tautology, is that how I pronounce Mm -hmm. it? This is expressing the same thing twice with different words. For example, the incorrect one is Tom made a water pail with his own hands for Jill. Whereas the correct one would be Jack made water pail for Jill. Okay. So obviously it's his own hands and 
they're saying that tautology is unnecessary. Again, you're right, but sometimes you would emphasize it to say that it wasn't anybody else who did it for Jill. It was Jack who did it. Jack made a water pail with his own two hands for Jill, and that would be perfectly correct, I would say. It's emphasis, isn't it? So I think that works out quite well. So there are lots of tautologies. I kick the ball with my foot. Well, of course, what else do you kick a ball with? Uh, So then my foot would be unnecessary. But I think sometimes it adds description, doesn't it? Emphasis. There's an interesting one about Engelbert Humpeldink. Oh, yeah? Because green grass is a tautology, of course, but green, green grass is not a tautology. The green, green grass of home. Why is that not a tautology? Because it's bloody green more than you would expect. Ah. But just saying green grass is, yeah, okay, grass is green. So what? Why are you telling me that? But sometimes it's brown when it doesn't rain. Okay, but generally it's green. (laughs) I cut my finger and the red blood spilt on the table. Of course, that's a tautology. So, yeah, I don't think many people would use these kind of tautologies, though, would they? Probably not. But I think the examples that they gave here as well, like close proximity, added bonus, large crowd, those are things that are used quite a bit, aren't they? They're also collocations. Okay, possibly if you use them too much. You've got dilapidated ruins as well. There's another one. Yeah, sure, John. Maybe you can reduce some of these things. I think, again, it creates something that's a bit highlighted, isn't it? I mean, like with added bonus, that's quite often used in advertising, isn't it? It's something that's on its own. It's not necessarily in an essay. I mean, I guess in an essay, maybe you have to think about tautology. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't think it's a a big error. Of course, if it's green grass, it's completely pointless saying green. I mean, these are collocations. We're probably all guilty of using them. It's a free gift. Gift is generally free. Yeah, but fair enough. But people say that. That's true. People say that. I don't think it is such a great error. So I'm sure I've said it myself. But it isn't, is it? And I think it's just commonly used. So therefore, yeah. it's highlighted. It's a bit of an emphasis. We don't yeah. really notice it in that. Yeah, way. sure. Yeah. I hope that has been enlightening to many of the listeners on how to improve your writing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you've done on Let Them Talk TV to do with writing? Yes, I have. And maybe we can discuss it another time. And it's about contractions. Ah. I think that's the only one I've done in writing. No, I have done one or two, but I did one a while ago on contractions because there's this myth that you mustn't use contractions in written English, which mm-hmm. again, it's just nonsense. It's complete nonsense. You use a contraction when necessary. And if you wouldn't use it in speaking, then you wouldn't use it in writing. And when you would use it in speaking, you would use it in writing. There's no rule against that. Or maybe there are a few rules. There are a few, maybe yes like could have and should have, should we use those informal writing as contractions? But other ones, otherwise you get ridiculous things saying like, I'm a very good guy, am I not? Instead of aren't I? It's a warm day, is it not? Instead of isn't it? So it ends up being ridiculous English. So I did make it a video about contractions. Yes, use contractions in written English. Use it in formal written English. It's absolutely bloody fine. Even George Orwell wrote an essay about it. So it's not just me who said that. Could do one on another time, perhaps. Yeah, I like that subject.
watch the video that and let was, them talk tv that was the whole point of me saying yeah. that so yeah watch let them talk tv and also you have a podcast yes a podcast zeitgeist banana and we have a regular guest and he goes by the name of john <laughs> it is me it is, yeah. Yeah. i've been told that you get almost 100 percent more listeners because i'm on that yeah exactly two listeners <laughs> so oh, your mum tunes my in mom listens. <laughs> this is true so no it's a very good podcast and john is excellent as you'd expect occasionally matt damon listens apparently yeah oh yes that's true thanks very much for listening listeners and i hope that's really helped you thanks for being on the show again gideon my pleasure uh, it's always a pleasure and you've been listening to english with monty If you enjoyed this podcast then please leave me a donation online via our website monty is a small independent company and i do all the editing myself i would suggest two pound fifty to buy me a coffee or five pounds for a beer montyenglish.co.uk then just click on the podcast button at the top you can donate here thank you i appreciate it